Today, our, uh, <clears throat> our passage comes from Matthew chapter 18, and it's about healing the wounded church. And I think that we should also, as we go through this message, think about healing the wounded nation and the wounded world. The, the lessons in chapter 18 are specifically directed to the church, but they have application throughout the world. And so let's think about that as we go forward. Our passage today is uh, Matthew 18, 21 to 35. So if you would open your Bibles or turn them on or however you want to do it, uh, read with me. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him and say, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then their master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered, to, uh, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. About 10 years ago, uh, Pastor Bruce Sheldahl and I started a uh, prayer and healing ministry. It was uh, once a month on Sunday evenings. We were here in the, uh, uh, in the auditorium. And some of you may remember that uh, there are a couple of people uh, here this morning from the prayer teams, like uh, Ken Bremer and uh, I don't see where Na is, but uh, Na as well. And, and uh, people came forward with all kinds of things, broken arms, broken marriages, broken lives. But the most common thing were, were the things like migraine headaches, neck problems, back problems, shoulder problems, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And, and um, 
usually these problems had been going on for years. And people had been to the doctor. They were taking all kinds of medication, pain medication and all the other stuff, and nothing worked. Nothing could relieve the pain. And then they came, as we often do, to the conclusion that as a last resort, how about prayer? <laughs> and so they came. And in, in a majority of the cases, maybe 75% of them, we found, just after a minute or two of talking to them, that the problem was unforgiveness. Let me tell you how that works. Assume you get mad at somebody, really mad, and you clench your fist and you're ready to just, you know, like that, and you hold it for 10 years. What's gonna to happen to your hand? And your arm. You know, in your mind you're going like this, and it's gonna affect your shoulder, and your neck, and your back, and your migraines. That's what this anger and unforgiveness is going to do to you. And we would talk to them for just a minute. You'd see there was unforgiveness. And we would pray with them that they forgive. And sometimes they had to forgive themselves, which is very difficult. But we'd pray with them for just a minute or two. And they would end up crying and walking out of here healed. It was amazing. And just like forgiveness is fundamental to the health of your body, it is also fundamental to the health of the body of Christ, which is the church. Well, we're now in, in Matthew chapter 18, as I said, and, and we find in chapter 18 a long teaching by Jesus. And, and he's warning Christians about things that, that can, uh, can wound the church, diseases in the church. And these things will wound the church just as surely as the nails that were pounded into his hands and the spear that was thrust into his side had wounded his physical body. And then after these warnings, Jesus gives us some instructions about healing the wounds that are sure to come. So uh, today, we're in the part of chapter 18 about healing the wounds. But let me, uh, let me remind you about things that will cause the wounds or the diseases. So you, it makes a little more sense about what I'm going to be talking about. Really, four lessons that um, Jesus gives in chapter 18. And he says that, that we as Christians should not insist on our rights especially if that is going to offend another brother in the church or turn them away from the church and from Christ and the faith altogether. So we must be ready to deny ourselves and not insist. Secondly, Christians are not to grasp for power and prestige and status in the church. Christians are to become like little children, trusting and humble. They're not to say, who was the greatest? I am going to be the greatest. Because the people that maneuver for power and status in the church 
are a disease and a wound in the church that is going to be divisive and maybe fatal to the local church. And we have seen that. We have seen, you, you can look at churches that have been destroyed by that. Christians are to be very careful not to intentionally or even innocently lead another Christian into sin or cause them to stumble in the faith. Jesus said this was so serious that you would be better off instead of doing that, you'd be better off to have somebody tie a big rock around your neck, take you out in the ocean and throw you in and drown. That's how serious it is to lead somebody into sin, a Christian into sin. And then finally we learned that if a Christian wanders away from the faith, just innocently wanders away, people do that, just like sheep wander away from the flock, we are supposed to go seek them and bring them back. And it's just like the shepherd, one of, one of the hundred sheep, wandered away, just as sheep do, and the shepherd went and brought them back. And that's what we're supposed to do. And if the church disregards those that wander away, that is a sign that there is a disease in the church that needs to be dealt with. Look, sin is going to happen in the church. It's just going to happen. A couple of reasons. One is that in every church, there are people who profess to be Christians. They say the right thing. They do the right thing. Some of them carry a really big Bible. They, uh, you know, all of that. But their hearts aren't given to Christ. And as uh, Isaiah tells us in uh, 29, 13, and the Lord said, this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment of men. In other words, somebody told them, hey, you better fear the Lord. Okay, well, that's another rule I got to do. As opposed to having it come from the heart and saying, God, you are in control and you are powerful. And even if someone is born again, a, a true Christian is born again, we're not perfect. We sin. You know, as Pastor Zach has said so often, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And the reason is there are no perfect people. So sooner or later, some of these diseases and wounds are going to affect every church, and that includes Hope Chapel. And that's why we have to understand how to go about healing the wounded church. Well, gee, you know, it's so uncomfortable to go up to somebody and say, you've been sinning. Uh, You've you got to straighten out. We can't, we can't live with this. It, you know, the, it's so uncomfortable. You really don't want to do that. It's easier to just sort of say, well, walk away. Let's, let's, let's not look at that right now. I'll do that later. So do we have to do anything? Jesus says you cannot overlook sin in the church. You cannot tolerate continuous serious sin in the church. If we don't deal with it, it's only going to get worse. And how's it going to get worse? Well, in a couple of very serious ways. One way is 
for those outside the church, their view of the church. We know from practical experience that sin will destroy the authority of the church for those outside the church. There, just look at any media you want, whether it's newspapers, magazines, movies, television, uh, social media, any other kind of media that's out there. They are taking every opportunity to try to destroy the moral authority of the church. And they do that by publicizing priests molesting children, pastors stealing money or falling into adultery, church leaders committing various kinds of crimes. No wonder it's so difficult to go out into the world and say, we, the church has moral authority. God's word is a moral truth because they're constantly bombarded with this. And if we don't deal with wounds in the church, it's just going to keep going on out there. You're going to see it in the newspaper the next day. Well, how about inside the church? Sin will destroy the moral authority of the gospel message inside the church. If we preach an absolute standard of right and wrong, it's not relative. It's not, well, do you think in your, it's true for you and not for me? We say God's word is the truth. It's God's word and it's a standard of morality. And you know what? If we then turn our head away from sin that we see, sin that can wound and destroy the church, if we do that, no wonder people are going to say, your, your meaning about moral authority is meaningless. Your message about moral authority is just meaningless. You're a hypocrite. And you know, the biggest criticism of Christians is that we're hypocrites. So we, we can't tolerate this sin in the church. Continuous serious sin will destroy it. And, and as uh, Elder Tim Pitchford said last week, he said God wants his church, which is the body of Christ, to be pure. He doesn't want it to be diseased. So, we're supposed to engage in a healing process in the church rather than trying to punish sinners. Okay? Take a look at Romans 12, 19. Paul is telling the Romans, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We're not to do that. The objective of church discipline is restoration of the sinner. We are to restore them to their proper place in the fellowship of the church. We, we want them to confess and repent and come back into the fellowship. Above all, we are trying to heal the wounds in the church and the wounds in each other by bringing reconciliation as opposed to fighting each other. And, and if healing is to take place at all, there has to be a process of healing and it has to be fair. And not only does it have to be fair, it has to be seen as fair. People have to look at it and say, now that's fair. 
Jesus gave us a procedure for fair ways to heal the wounds in the church. We're not to invent our own methods of doing it. We're not to take it in our own hands. We're supposed to do what he said. And what he said was, was fairly simple. He said, first, if you think somebody has sinned against you, privately, without gossip and all that nonsense, go talk to them. Tell them what you feel and say, look, you know, you've, you've sinned against me and, and let us be reconciled. You know, repent and I will forgive. Well, two things can happen, of course. A person would say, oh, you know, I am so sorry. So forth. Or you can say, I didn't sin against you. Or there's another alternative. I'm not repenting. I meant it. Well, if that happens, then two or three others are supposed to be brought in. Jesus doesn't want lone rangers or vigilantes to be their own, you know, judge, jury, and executioner. They're supposed to bring in people from the church. And they're supposed to find out first, are these allegations true? If they're not, well, then let's bring in a little reconciliation here. It's just a misunderstanding. If they are true, we ask for repentance. And let's suppose the sinner says, I'm not. I, you have no authority over me. I'm not repenting. Okay. Then we go to the next step, which is bring it to the church at large. And if the person doesn't repent then and says, I don't care about any of you, then we have to do a little surgery. Okay? You, you got a disease. And you have, to, you have to say, sir, we would love to have you repent. We want you to be part of this. But, but until you play your part, we're going to need you to step outside. We can't, we can't let it go in the church and destroy the church. And as, again, as Elder Tim said uh, last week, in doing all this, we're to act with humility and love and honor. And, and since two or three godly people who are not part of the original you know, uh, uh, anger have looked at this, we've gone through the process, we've asked Christ for our help in considering this, we can be sure that the result that comes out of that is within the will of Christ. That's what he was, uh, Jesus was talking about in that part of chapter 18. That process is going to accomplish a significant part of the healing. But it won't completely heal the wound. Let me tell you, let me give you an example. Let's suppose, you know, you stepped on a nail and you pull that nail out or, you, you know, a window shattered, you got a piece of glass in your arm, you, you pull that glass out so that is not going to make any bigger wound. That's in effect what we've done so far with this process. But we haven't closed the wound. The person that's been sinned against hasn't been, been reconciled. They can still be angry. And, and if we don't do that, it's just like leaving a wound unattended. We're going to have the wound get worse, it's going to get infected, it's going to have a, be a disease in the church. 
And again, it could be devastating. So we have to take care of that side of it as well. People have to be reconciled to each other in some way, or reconciled certainly in the sense that this wound is, is healed. And, and how does that happen? How am I supposed to be reconciled to the sinner that's repented? Very simple. Jesus says, forgive. Oh, not forgive. Anything but forgive. We are to forgive, period. Now, like, it's easy to say, I forgive. But let's talk about a couple of fundamentals of forgiveness. Okay. First of all, at the very minimum, forgiveness means that the person sinned against gives up the right and the desire to retaliate. Now, I want to be clear about this. Forgiveness does not mean that sin has no consequences. Okay, let, let's use an example. Suppose um, somebody steals your car. Well, you file an insurance report, you file a police report, and a week later, the police come in, and they say, hey, we found your car, and we found the thief, and he's the guy that sits in the eighth row back there. He's in the church, right? <laughs> well, okay. And he repents. You're supposed to forgive. But that doesn't mean there's no consequences. The police are going to take him to the prosecutors, and they're going to have a trial, and if he's guilty, put him in jail. And you and I know from personal experience, from our own sin, that those sins have consequences. Okay, it doesn't matter about the forgiveness of the person we sinned against. These things have consequences. And so, um, first of all, we are to give up the right to retaliate and the desire to retaliate. And second, second, Sin means, or forgive means that sin is gone from your heart and your mind. Okay. How about a practical example of that? Okay. How many times have you been in a, um, a heated conversation, a heated discussion with a friend, with a business associate, with a spouse, with your kids, whoever, and you start, you know, each, each, each of you is starting to get a little madder and a little madder. And finally somebody says, and another thing, three years ago, you did the same thing to me. And I've never forgot. I forgave you that time, but I'm not forgiving you this time. Any of that sound familiar? You know what? You didn't forgive the first time. You just put a lid on it. The anger and unforgiveness has been there for years. We're supposed to follow God's example. Jeremiah 31, 34. God says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So if you really want to forgive and you really want to grow spiritually in forgiveness, cultivate a little spiritual amnesia. Okay? <laughs> Forget it. It's supposed to never come up again in a discussion, in an argument, in an accusation, or even in your own memory. 
And that's why Jesus says, at the, at the very end of our passage, in verse 35, he says, forgive your brother from your heart. Because if you do that, it's gone. Just the way God has forgiven you. And as Elder Tim had said, God's not righteous. He is righteousness itself. And if his spirit is in us, then we are growing in righteousness. He has planted his seed in us. And we are, grow, we are to grow in our ability and our desire to grow in forgiveness. And another thing, forgiveness is central to the gospel message. It would be impossible to have the gospel and salvation if we deleted the word forgive from the Bible. Christ died that our sins might be forgiven. And a forgiving heart is proof of our salvation. Look in the Lord's Prayer. People ask him, Lord, how do we learn how do we pray? He said, as part of it, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And by the way, that is the only part of the Lord's Prayer that he goes back to to reemphasize in this teaching. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And, and that's not just, you know, a passage picked out of, uh, for, for some kind of proof. I mean, in your notes, I've mentioned um, Mark 11.25 and, and Luke 6.37 and Luke uh, 11.4 and 17.4. I mean, those are all passages, just examples of where Jesus says the same thing over and over again. You know, some people get upset about this. They say, hey, wait a minute. You have been preaching that we are saved by grace, through faith, and not works. And now you're telling me, I got to forgive so I can be forgiven. Sounds a lot like works religion to me. I think you're very heated about that. But that, it's a misunderstanding. A failure to forgive, unforgiveness, is the result of a hard heart. Your heart hasn't been completely softened. And, and Douglas O'Donnell, in a commentary on Matthew, I think said it very well. He said, now to be clear, our forgiveness of others is not a condition of salvation. It is a consequence of salvation. And, and look, I, I, I want... I want to be clear. I am not saying if you're not perfectly forgiving, you know, you're not a Christian, you're not saved, all that kind of stuff. We are growing in spiritual maturity. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfectly forgiving. I'm sure not, and I guess we could raise hands, but I, I suspect that none of us are. So I won't embarrass you. But, but I think Pastor Zach said it best about about a year and a half ago, I don't know if you remember this, but um, in one of the sermons, he gave us 10 tests for whether we are growing 
in Christ. I, I cut those out. I pasted them in my Bible to look at those things uh, so I can kick myself every once in a while. Uh, and and what, he, what he said in the test on forgiving was, am I more forgiving? And that's the question we have to keep asking ourselves. Am I more forgiving than I was last week or last month? or last year. That's the way to see whether you're growing in spiritual maturity, whether you're growing in forgiveness. Nobody's going to be perfect, but are you more forgiving than you were? And that gets us uh, to, to the next part of our, our healing in chapter uh, 18. It, it, there, Jesus had, had finished talking about all this stuff that I've just talked about, and then uh, Peter speaks up, as he often does. And uh, he's been thinking about this. And, and he's interested in what happens if somebody sins against him. He's been the target of the sin. Or maybe it, it's his church. But he's, he's the target. And he, he wonders how the, this sinner is supposed to be you know, reconciled or restored if Peter was the target. Now, he understands that if the brother has sinned and has confessed and repented, that Peter, he's supposed to forgive. He understands that. That's not the issue. But he's thinking a little ahead. He says, well, wait a minute. If I forgive him that time, I know he's a sinner. He's likely to sin again. And I'm likely to be the target again. Okay? Maybe the first time it was uh, theft, and the second time it's theft. Maybe the first time it was theft, second time it's adultery, third time it's uh, something else. Okay? And every time the sinner is confronted by the elders of the church, and he repents. And Peter's supposed to forgive him. So Peter's thinking, this can go on forever. How many times do I have to forgive? How many times do I have to put up with this guy before I can punch his ticket? Okay? Now, Peter knows. He's trying to be good. He knows that the rabbis have said you have to forgive three times. And on the fourth time, it's up to you. Okay? But he wants to, you know, he, he wants to learn from Jesus. So he says, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, most, most you know, commentators and so forth say uh, Peter's trying to be super spiritual. He's trying to impress Jesus. This is more than twice as many as the rabbis say. I, I think, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. I think Peter may be remembering something that uh, Jesus said sometime before. If you look at, at Luke uh, 17.3, Jesus was talking to the disciples and he said, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Okay, that's easy. And then he says, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you forgive him. So maybe Peter's thinking, well, you know, seven's the limit. Well, Jesus wasn't saying this guy in the story sinned eight times and all you have to do is forgive him seven. He just said every time 
that he sinned and, and repented, you forgive him. But Peter is worried about a brother that repents more than seven times. What, what's the limit? Well, Jesus says to him, and it depends on the translation. Sometimes say, some, some translations say 70, and sometimes the translations will say 70 times 7, and, and you know, that sort of thing. But the point, the, the exact number doesn't matter. The point is that there's no limit. And there's good reasons for this. The first reason is that if you are counting the number of times you have to forgive, then you haven't forgiven at all. You're just putting a lid on your anger and you're waiting until you're free to retaliate. You know, that guy has sinned against me 66 times and I am praying to the Lord he does it five, you know, five more because then he's over the 70. And then the pow! <laughs> you, know? you haven't forgiven the first time. It's just put, you just put it in a pressure cooker. That's all you've done. And when the lid blows off, it's not going to be pretty in the church or elsewhere. Well, but shouldn't the Lord put some number of limits on it? Look, you know, Peter's thinking about this, and, and, and he's thinking that if you, if you forgive every time, then a bad guy... There's no downside. He can just keep doing it and keep repenting and keep forgiving and so forth. So Peter wants a limit. So let's just let's follow that through a minute. Let's just pretend for a minute. Let's pretend God says to him, gee, Peter, you're right. I never thought about that. I'll tell you what. I appreciate your advice. You pick the number of times to forgive. And whatever you say, I'll go with. Okay? But, but Peter while you're thinking about the exact number, I'd like you to take a look at Colossians 3.13. It says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. So Peter, I want you to know that I will forgive you for every time you sinned, just as many times as you want to put a limit on your, sin, your forgiveness of somebody that sins against you. And by the way, I'd like to remind you, Peter, that if there is one unforgiven sin, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven because there will be no sinners in the kingdom of heaven. So, Peter, how many times do you want? What limit do you want to set? Seven? You want me to forgive seven of your sins? How about 70? How about 700? How about 7,000? What do you want, Peter? Well, I can tell you what I want. I want unlimited forgiveness, just like God has offered. Absolutely unlimited forgiveness. And I am willing to have unlimited forgiveness of people that sin against me and repent. Because I know that, sin, that repentance and, and forgiveness are gifts of God. And God, I want to keep giving just what you've given me. Well, then um, Jesus finishes chapter 18 with this little story. And the story is very simple. It shows how bad things can get, how bad the wound can get in the church if there's an unforgiving heart. 
And here's the story. I mean, it's very simple. Man owes a king a huge amount of money. Debt he can never pay. He pleads with the king for mercy and forgiveness. And the king says, I forgive your debt. Then the guy goes out and looks for somebody that owes him about three months' wages and grabs him by the throat, slaps him around a little bit and says, pay up. And he doesn't. He can't write that. He says, please, just give me a little time. I'll pay you. It's a debt that could be paid. Man says no and sends him to prison. The king then hears about it and brings him in and says, you are a bad guy. I forgave you a debt you could never repay. And you didn't forgive this guy? You're going to jail forever. So the debt is repaid and you can't repay it. That's, that's the story. Now, scholars will, will write books about this and they'll go on and on and on for pages. And you'll hit, see sermons sometimes that go four or five weeks on this story. And, and they, they analyze it and they analyze it. You know, how much money is 10,000 talents in today's money? Um, and and 10,000 talents of what? You know, is it gold or silver or whatever? It doesn't say. And, and you've got to consider inflation. And then you've got to consider uh, the currency exchange rate. And you, you really have to think about, you know, interest and so forth. And, and uh, you know, what, what did the guy's wife say? And what kind of dog did they have? Who cares? It has nothing to do with that. You're going to miss the point. God forgave your sins. And there was no debt. There was a debt that no amount of effort on your part could ever repay. And therefore, you are supposed to show your gratitude and your love to God by similarly forgiving those who have sinned against you. It goes right back to the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And if you fail to do this, you are simply proving that you have rejected God and his grace. And when you reject God and his grace, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and I think th this story also shows you, just to follow through with this, this theme of wounds in the church, I think it also shows that this guy, this, this hard-hearted, unforgiving servant, violated in doing this every uh, warning that Christ gave in chapter 18. Look at it. He insists on his right to payment. You're not supposed to insist. He leads his debtor into the sin of default by not saying, okay, it's a debt can be repaid. You know, please repay it uh, within a small amount of time. We are to become humble, but this guy went out. He wasn't humble. He grabbed the guy by the throat, slapped him around, and said, pay up. When somebody wanders away from the faith, we are supposed to go out on a search and rescue mission. This guy went on a search and destroy mission. We're not supposed to take matters in our own hands. We're supposed to bring godly people in to make sure we're doing the right thing. This guy was the Lone Ranger, the vigilante. He went out and he took matters into his own hands as the judge, jury, and executioner. And of course, we are to forgive as we have been forgiven.
And he didn't do that. So it's no wonder Jesus concludes chapter 18 by saying, And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. And so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You want to be the one to heal the church. You don't want God to do the surgery. Forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Amen? Amen. Father, we, uh, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for guiding us in healing wounds that are bound to come in the church and in our state, in our city, in our country, in our world. Lord, let us follow your will, your processes, your instructions. And most of all, Lord, remind us over and over again that we are to forgive unlimited because we have been forgiven in an unlimited amount. Lord, there's no way we can repay the debt to you other than to obey you. We love you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand together. We'll respond to God with one more song this morning. I'd like to invite uh, the elders up available up front for prayer throughout this song.